I invite you this morning to come with me to the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews 4, as we continue our dive into Hebrews, the greater and better covenant. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in words already quoted, today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. And now our Father, grant by your Spirit, that we would rightly see and hear, understand, and apply this, your great word. O oh Lord, our need is desperate. And so we call upon you, our Father, in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tired. So very tired. I suspect if I went out and did a survey, the majority would indicate you're tired. Now, just a hint. Telling yourself you're tired never made anything better. That's free, and that's all the advice I shall offer. But we know what it's like to be weary, right? Stay up working on a paper, studying for a test. Stay up with a crying baby or a sick child. Work lots of overtime. Uh, had to get where we were going, kept driving straight through the night. Or 
you know, that at least this excuse needed to stay up and keep my worries company. They seemed lonely without me. And all of this, to some degree or another, makes us appreciate rest. Whether that rest is a little extra time in the sack or a day off or even a vacation. But even that's not restful if down deep there's still a sense of restlessness and discomfort. The author of Hebrews continues to point out the greatness of Christ compared to everyone and everything else these Jewish believers might have been tempted to trust. His readers are struggling because they're considering going back into Judaism. It would make things so much simpler. They wouldn't be on the outs with their friends, their family, their neighbors. Everything would be familiar. Persecution would likely die out entirely. So the author is showing them that Jesus first is greater than angels and that he's also greater than Moses. And now he takes up another theme, and that of Jesus as rest. Augustine, well known from his confessions, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. We live in such upheaval and misery and distraction. I know some of you have thought, well, I need to simplify my life and improve things. And then you made a list of all you had to do and it depressed you, so you got rid of the list. <laughs> Better not to write it down and think about it than actually look at it <laughs> genuine faith true faith biblical faith leads to rest true rest now the author i think begins this way he first talks to us about the promise of rest verse one therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This is the first time the word promise appears in the book of Hebrews. It's going to show up more. But here's the first time. While the promise of entering his rest still stands. Now when Scripture talks about rest, it reveals the biblical concept communicates a lot more than just taking a nap or even taking a vacation. It means enjoying and entering God's plan of salvation and inhabiting the very place where God set His dwelling. It means being with the Lord in His place that He has prepared and enjoying what He has given you. That should lead to rest. Let's fear. Let us fear, lest any should seem to fall short. That's not a paralyzing fear that disables. The fear commanded here is the stimulus to quick action, like the fear that motivates a mountain climber. 
to, to ensure all the equipment's working properly. Now, if you're so brain dead that you like to climb mountains, I'm sorry, if, if your hobby includes something as deadly dangerous, well, maybe that's not the way to say it either. If there's risk involved, you make preparation. Well, sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I'm, I'm afraid. And I say, well, fear kind of depends. Fear can be a healthy thing. Fear keeps you from standing in the middle of 65 Highway at rush hour, right? Fear or good sense. There are things that, that motivate, but in this case, it is the fear in the sense of being properly prepared. The therefore begins this chapter, and of course, when the author of Hebrews writes this, there's no chapter divisions, there's no verses. But it looks back to what he's already said, the previous chapter, which is the exposition and application of that glorious 95th Psalm. Now I'll say this again to set context. I love that 95th Psalm. It is such an encouragement to worship. Psalm 95, oh come let us sing to the Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. For our God is a great God, the King above all gods. We're called to joyfully worship, and we're called to reverently worship. He said, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. But we are also called to obedient worship. Today, if you hear His voice. The Israelites had left Egypt for the purpose of their own place, a place to rest. But they didn't find it. The promise is still there for a place to rest. The caution here is be careful that we're not like them. Now for you folks that like to dig around in the text of Scripture, let me show you something. Verse 1 and verse 11 form kind of, uh, if you will, bookends. They are the framework. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to have reached it. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's demarcating what he wants you to pay attention to as his argument in this particular place. So there's a promise of rest. The second part, I think, is what I'd call an appropriation of this rest. Verse 2 in the first part of verse 3. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For he who, we who have believed, excuse me, enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The message of good news for them was good news. Now, it's not the same good news that you and I got. The good news that came to us is the message of deliverance of salvation through Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior, and this is our hope. The good news that came to them was, I'm going to get you out of Egypt, and not only am I going to get you out of Egypt, I'm going to get you to the land that was promised to Abraham. There's the good news. But they didn't benefit. What was the problem? What does the author tell us? It was not united 
with faith. Now you see, friend, here is the, the danger, is it not? We may listen to the sermon, we may hear the word preached, we may hear the gospel message, but if we don't believe it, it has done us no good. In fact, the horrible hazard is this. Hear it, fail to believe it, and rather than being comfort and rescue and your salvation, it becomes part of your eternal condemnation. If those who heard the law didn't escape, How about those of us who have heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Reject the law, the author says, mediated by angels, earned you death. What do you think is going to happen to those who don't hear the message from the very Son of God? Who do not unite it? Lig Duncan looks at this text and listen to his words. Even though they had heard the gospel and the promises of God in the Old Testament, it didn't profit them. Why? Why did it not profit them? Because, he says, their hearing was not united by faith to those who heard. In other words, there was unbelief. There was a lack of faith. They failed to continue to trust God. And that's, of course, one of the central themes of the story of the wilderness wandering. The people of God who have been brought out of Egypt with mighty miracles did not continue to believe in God. Frankly, isn't that one of the things that boggles our minds? We can't believe that people who saw water stand up as walls and walk through the Red Sea on dry land could possibly have not trusted in God in the wilderness. I mean, it just boggles your mind. And yet we do it. I mean, he raised us from dead. Uh, spiritual death made us one with Christ and yet we find ourselves wondering and not trusting when we find ourselves in hard spots we struggle with the same kinds of things and that's why the author of Hebrews is using this illustration with this congregation because you see it's the same thing in these Christians the Lord has done great things in their lives he's transformed their lives he's drawn them to Christ and yet he sees them wandering and so he calls on them to take heed of the story that's found in the story of Israel in the wilderness. And he reminds that by unbelief and lack of faith and through disobedience came their destruction. My friend, there is no rest without faith. Those who believe enter God's rest. And and faith here is more than mere assent. It's actual trust. We've talked about this before. I come to this often because I think for me this was such a clarifying thing to realize the reformers understood faith as having three elements. The first was knowledge. Notitia. You have to know the content to some extent. The second was assent. Ascensus. That is, you had to affirm it's true. But if the third element was missing, you didn't actually have faith. And the third element was trust, fiducia. If you don't trust, you're doomed. There is no hope for you. There is no rest. This is why the author will tell us in the 11th chapter, without faith, it is impossible 
to please God. We're always talking about faith, for it's only faith that actually lays hold of salvation or of rest. Not some nebulous faith with no defined object. It is a faith, strong confidence in the promise of God. So we've considered the promise of rest, the appropriation, which is by faith. And then he talks about what I would call the priority of rest. In the middle of verse 3 through verse 5, hear these words. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now this isn't hard to follow. You read the book of Genesis in the first chapter, and we are given the days of creation in succession. Days one through seven. And all of them follow the same pattern. On this day, God said, let there be, and there was. And God looked at it and said it was good. And there was morning, evening and morning, right? Day two. You go down the list. Until you get to day seven. No mention of morning and evening on the seventh day. Simply says, on, on the seventh day, God rested. Well, now, why did God rest? Was he tired? I mean, creating the entire universe? That, that seems like heavy lifting, right? But we know from the text of Scripture, the Lord never grows weary. He never grows faint. He never yawns. And I just put that in several of your minds. You're going to yawn here in the next two, two minutes or so. Been trying not to, and I got you. His resting was he ceased from his labor, the labor of creation. What he had meant to do and set out to do, he had done, and that was finished. So there is a sense in which this rest that is offered to us is linked, if you will, to ideal cosmic rest, the rest that God himself enjoys. And this ought to be, for us, joyous rest. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read Genesis 1, there's an overwhelming sense of joy in that text. There's nothing there that's dark or miserable. I mean, it, it's just filled with, with light and life and astonishment. Thus Job will say, Job 38, 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. It was satisfying. He looked at all of it. It was good. But this also looks forward to a final rest. And the author wants you to see there's a connection here. And the rest is not necessarily inactive. Now, think about it this way. Do you think Adam and Eve... found as, well, however long it lasted, joy and rest and comfort until they sinned. Does that seem like a reasonable proposition? But you know that the original creation 
Adam and Eve were not to be inactive. They had things to do. The curse was not that there would be work. The curse included work would be frustrating. Now, some of you said, amen. Right? Mow the yard. Guess what? Seven days later, mow the yard. And a certain part of the summer, three days later, mow the yard. Right? Fix the car. Well, I fixed the car. Well, it needs to be fixed again. Meals. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Ugh. These people, they think they just appear out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, I should be careful. Um, the rest also had a forward orientation. Even for the Israelites. And actually, this shows up through the rest of Hebrews. Um, you get to chapter 11. At one point, the author says, he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose builder and designer is God. I think that's a reference to Abraham. In chapter 11, verse 16, but as it is, they, he's talking about the people of Israel, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal assembly, or in some sense, festal gathering. Now, in chapter 13, verse 14, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You see, my friend, there is an ideal rest, and there's a future in front of us. So this rest, here's what I'm trying to fasten in your minds. It is, in one sense, out there at the second coming, the consummation of all things, rest. And, by the way, it's not only okay to look forward to that, it is right to look to that. It is faith-strengthening to look forward to that. But that is not the only way to look at it because there appears in this text to also be a present tense of rest. At verses 6 to 8, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And was the disobedience? They didn't believe. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, that is, so long after the people of Israel had failed, David even looks forward to the day, calls it today, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then I love this. He goes all the way back. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Faith is to be exercised today. Faithfulness today. Perseverance today. Some of you spend all your time fretting about what you're going to do tomorrow. Isn't today enough? Faithful today. Faith today. Believe today. 
The only thing preventing you from having this rest is distrust, and the distrust leads to disobedience. The rest is available right now. Joshua couldn't give them complete rest. And I love that he puts this in here, and he just quickly pencils in, if you will, Joshua. But you do understand that the name Joshua, the Lord saves, is actually Jesus' name. Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua or Yeshua. So whenever he talks about Joshua, I think he wants you to think about your Joshua. Jesus. Joshua couldn't give them rest. Our Joshua has come to give us rest today, the present age. The Christian community is the heir to the promise of entering God's rest. Present rest. The present rest looks ahead to the full and final rest. It is the promise of 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Christian, how often do you and I spend our time laboring and we're too short-sighted in the outcome? We want something to happen real quick. We want an answer to our prayer yesterday. We're not great at enduring. And yet the call here is to live present tense in this rest while looking forward to the final rest, which the Lord grants to those who love Him and believe in Him. This can be yours You embrace it today. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, some of you are saying, okay, preacher, so today, right, Christian Sabbath, we're going to embrace today, and this is the rest. And I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. There's not a single place in the New Testament to call Sunday Sabbath, much less Christian. Sabbath. Yet there is Sabbath rest. The rest is not the ceasing from daily labor, although there's nothing wrong with that. The rest is resting in what he has done. In faith, you trust him. And that leads, I think, finally, this purpose of rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, this can be a little difficult to navigate, but I want to try to help you do this. Your Sabbath rest is not a particular day of the week. It's supposed to be a daily reality. It is for you to give up Saving yourself, 
to give up somehow impressing God into granting you something. If you are His, trust in Him. The rest is partial here and complete later. We are to rest. We're to rest in Him. And this is His grant to us to right now cease from labor to gain, to rest in what He has given us, and out of rest by faith in Him, then to live the life of obedience. But the obedience flows out of the rest. If we rest in Him, we are free to obey. Because the obedience is no longer to merit anything. The obedience isn't to gain something. It doesn't come with this stricture of, oh, have I done enough? Have I done enough? I ought to do more. And my answer to those first questions, you remember, have I done enough? What's the answer? No. Could I do more? Yes. Now, some of you just got very depressed. And I hope to depress you enough that you stop it. Quit gauging how much you've done. Do. Do because he's granted. Do because you have rest. And you look to a future rest. The author doesn't have any trouble putting these things together. I pray that we would not. And my friends, how often do we miss how the Lord has shown rest and kindness and care for us in ways that we don't even know? I love this story um, from the 1800s. It was uh, Christmas Eve, 1875. Ira Sankey, I got to know. How many of you know who Ira Sankey was? How many of you have no earthly idea who Ira Sankey was? Okay, you are forgiven. Dad's on. Um, Ira Sankey was traveling the Delaware River on a steamboat. Ira was the song leader for the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. Everywhere D.L. Moody went and did his preaching and crusades, Ira Sankey was the song leader. Okay? Well, Folks recognized him. His picture had been in the papers. And so they asked him to sing one of his hymns. And, and he turned them down, saying he'd prefer to sing William Bradbury's hymn, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. And he sang, one of the stanzas begins this way. We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. Some of you remember that line. When he finished, a man stepped from the shadows and asked him, did you serve in the Union Army? Sankey said, yeah. Began back in the spring of 1860. Do you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlight night in 1862? <laughs> Sankey said, yeah. So did I. But I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, this fellow will never get away alive. 
I raised my musket and took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, the full light of the moon falling on you. And at that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing. Let him sing his song to the end, I said to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. He's my victim at all events, and I can't miss from here. But the song you sang then was the song you sang just now, and I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. And the words stirred memories. I began to think of my childhood, my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that song to me. And when you had finished your song, I couldn't take aim again. I thought the Lord who's able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty, and my arm of its own accord dropped limp at my side. Now, folks, we hear that. Now, I know so many come back. Well, let me tell you a sad story. Let me tell you about the guy that got shot. Right? We, we can always come up with that. But brothers and sisters, what that illustrates for us is that our God is faithful. And that he watches over us and we can rest in him. What was it that enabled missionaries, particularly in the 17 and 18 and early 1900s, to go to the mission field, often carrying their belongings in a coffin, in a casket, because their life expectancy was so extraordinarily short. How is it that they could march into places that had never seen uh, Christian missionaries ever preach the gospel? What moved them? They knew they were immortal until the Lord was done. And they could rest. They could labor to exhaustion because they rested in Christ. They could do that knowing there's a future rest that would also be theirs. My brothers and sisters, this is the kind of rest that our Lord gives us when we come to Him by faith. Follow your Joshua. Follow Jesus. We live now in the anticipation of a final Sabbath rest celebration. We labor now, but our frustrating labor will one day end. Our striving now, my friend, is that we would hear and believe and embrace this Lord and know this rest. Are you tired? And I don't mean just physically, I mean down deep in your soul. Is there a restlessness? Hear me, my friend. If you don't know Jesus, turn to him now. Trust him now. Believe him now. You don't have to wait for anything else to happen. So, well, what if I don't say the words right? He interprets. I want to make sure I say it all right. My friend, it's as simple as this. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner who deserves condemnation. I turn from that and I trust you as the only hope of my salvation. And he then saves you. And you enter his rest. May the Lord grant it.